All right, welcome to part 10 in our series through the book, The Song of Solomon. So you can see this morning we're talking about the art of intimacy, part 2. So as I shared last session, we're going to learn five more keys to great sex in marriage. Now, uh, one summer night during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small boy into bed and... uh, She was about to turn off the light when uh, the little boy asked with a tremor in his voice. He said, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? And the mother smiled and gave him a reassuring look and just said, Honey, I can't, dear. I have to sleep with your daddy. And the little boy said, The big sissy. (laughs) What I want to say this morning is that there are no sissies in this room. You have all returned from last Sunday's message, and give yourself a round of applause, okay? All right, let's kind of set the scene again, shall we? The book, The Song of Solomon, is about one couple, Solomon and the Shulamite, the woman. There are eight romantic scenes through the book, and this is God's best for romantic relationships. There's different stages that the book describes for us of all romantic relationships. Scene one was about their attraction. Scene two was about their dating. Scene three was about their courtship. Scene four was their ceremony, their wedding ceremony. And then scene five is all about their intimacy, which we're studying right now. So when we come to chapter four, verse one, we are at the Ritz-Carlton. We are at the honeymoon suite. We're at the bridal chamber and the door is locked and the drapes are shut and the temperature is rising. And Solomon and the Shulamite, they're finally alone. It's so exciting. All by themselves, they are except for us. God brings us right inside with them. Why? Because God wants us to understand sex the way he sees it, as something beautiful, as something holy, as something special that is designed for a man and a woman in marriage to experience. But most of all, God has given us this scripture that we're going to study this morning He's given this to us so that we, as married couples, can have great sex in marriage. It's given as an example. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, including the one we're studying, is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And if the truth be known, all of us need to have teaching and rebuking at times and training in all areas of life, and even when it comes to our sexuality. Now, statistics reveal that just 40% of married couples describe their sex life as physically and emotionally satisfying. And you know what I say about that is I'm not sure that they've read the book of the Song of Solomon. Because I believe just with these two messages, that if you read and understand and apply these two messages, your sex life in marriage will improve at least 25%. That is a guarantee. And I believe you will agree with me after you hear this message and also last week's message. I mean, if you live out these principles, I had one man come up to me this morning and said, Mark, it's been an amazing week of just applying the things that were taught last Sunday. I mean, this, and this is meant to be applied. It's meant to be uh, utilized within our marriages. So we have this scene. It's an incredibly intimate scene. The only one like it in all the Bible. God's given it to us under the inspiration of Scripture to help us. So I call it 10 keys for great sex and marriage. 
that are within these verses. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the first five keys. I want to briefly review this, these, and then we'll go into the next five. We said, number one, great sex starts with romance. Before Solomon even touched her, uh, he romanced her. I mean, he, he took the time to point out, remember, the beauty of her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her mouth, her cheeks, her neck. He was building this desire within her for him, and that's what romance is. And we talked about how men are microwaves and women are crockpots. I mean, a man can have sex in an instant, but a woman is a crockpot. She slowly heats up, so to speak. That's the way God has wired her, and Solomon realized that. And we talked about, you know, men keep your flowers fresh. Be romancing your wife all the time. It starts early on. Dr. Dobson said, a woman's greatest sex organ is her mind. Romancing is, is so important for sex. Second, great sex includes gentleness. Solomon, you remember, approached his wife's breasts like two fawns browsing among the lilies. He didn't come in as like Conan the Barbarian. Uh, sex is gentle. We talked about moving slowly and discussing parameters and being flexible and establishing signals. Thirdly, great sex includes enjoyment. Remember verse 6? All night long. God's plan is that you enjoy each other's body fully, completely, totally. It's to be enjoyed. Four, great sex includes exaltation. Solomon, you remember, placed her in the highest esteem possible in chapter 4, verse 7. I mean, he, he hasn't even touched her yet. And he's saying, all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. When a woman hears that, when she's exalted, when she's romanced, all this, it's building up desire for wonderful sex. Number five, great sex includes oneness. Remember, Solomon called her away in verse 8 so that the two of them as a couple could become one flesh. Sex is God's means for oneness. Great sex yields this oneness and closeness and intimacy. Okay, those were the five things we taught last Sunday. And this morning, five more keys to great sex. The sixth key is this. Great sex is sensuous. In other words, great sex involves all of the senses. Now listen to Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9. He says this. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. So he points out her eyes, that sight. With one glance, her eyes to his eyes, she stole Solomon's heart. And there's times I look into my wife's eyes, and I mean I am undone. And this is what Solomon is talking about here. Her necklace, he points out, that sight to Solomon, it was a turn-on. Perhaps the way that necklace lay on her body, her skin. Great sex is stimulated by sights. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. The fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Her, her perfume, that smell. The scent of the Shulamite's perfume, it was intoxicating to Solomon. More pleasing than wine, great sex involves sight, it involves smell, it involves the senses. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. 
The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. He speaks here now of her lips. That's touch. That's taste. To Solomon, she tasted sweeter than the honeycomb. Milk and honey were under her tongue. This is so sensuous. Sight, smell, touch, taste. Great sex involves all of these senses. And by the way, what kind of kiss is showcased in verse 11? It's a French kiss, isn't it? An open mouth kiss. Actually, France did not become a country until the 9th century A.D. The Song of Solomon was written 1000 B.C. This verse predates France by 19 centuries. So a French kiss should be, really should be called a Hebrew kiss. Solomon was the one who noted it. The point is this. Great sex is sensuous. Great sex engages all the senses. So here's a great tip. It's so basic, but here's a great tip, married couples. Find out, watch this, what your husband or wife likes to see, touch, smell, taste, and hear, and bring it. You do that, that's 25% right there. You say, how can you improve your lovemaking in marriage? Just ask your spouse, honey, how can I become more sensuous? What a great question. You can follow that up by saying, what would you like to see? How would you like me to smell? How would you like me to touch you? What would you like to hear? How would you like me to taste? Wow. Turn on the air conditioning right now. This is, though, what couples talk about and, and work toward and grow. If you want to have great sex in your marriage, you've got to talk this way. This is normal conversation. This should be for couples. Otherwise, you're dysfunctional in your marriage. You should be open and honest because you love each other. You want to serve each other. You want to be romantic. Great sex is sensuous. So I want you at your tables now to talk about this. You're like, are you kidding me? You can do it. You can do it. Say it with me. We can do it. Say that together. We can do it. The guys are going, I don't know. Look at some of these guys over there. I don't know. So here, here's your discussion question. Women, develop a list of three ways to become more sensuous to a, to a man. And then guys, develop a list of three ways to become more sensuous to a woman. I mean, practically, what can you do? Talk about it. Go for it. Okay, we're talking about five more keys to great sex. Great sex, first of all, is sensuous. If, you have, if you're having sex and it's not sensuous, it's not great sex. I mean, it's sex. We're talking about great sex. Number one, it's sensuous. Number two, great sex is pure. Now, notice what purity looked like in Solomon and in the Shulamites' relationship. Now, in the Bible, okay, a man's sexuality is described as a spring for obvious reasons. And again, this is Hebrew poetry. A woman's sexuality is, just, is described as a well for obvious reasons. A spring goes into the well. This is a classic picture, and Solomon uses it. So listen to how Solomon described his wife before sexual intercourse. Chapter 4, verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a sealed fountain. She's locked up. She's enclosed. She's sealed. Solomon was stating very plainly 
that she had not experienced a man's spring within her, that she was a virgin. This is what he's saying. Now, God's plan for marriage is no better stated than in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. God's plan for marriage is that both would be virgins going into marriage. And we know that's not always the case. Perhaps it's seldom the case today. The wonderful thing, though, about God is that God doesn't just give us like his standard. Uh, no, there's a person who died for the violation of that standard. There's a Holy Spirit that can change our hearts toward that standard. We have the Word of God that leads us back to that standard. And through Christ's forgiveness, we can be made white as snow. In a very real sense, a second virginity before God is available. You look at Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, God can forgive us so deeply when we come to him that we become white as snow. That, that is an incredible truth from God's word. Now, here's the principle I want to share with you. A condition for great sex is purity and holiness before God and one another. Now, the point I want to make here is not were you a virgin before, you know, you were married. That's not the point because you're married now. You're no longer a virgin. The point I want to make is this. Today in your marriage, are, watch this, are you living a pure life before God and one another? That's the point. See, the marriage bed is to be kept pure, not just before marriage, but all the way through marriage. You want to have great sex with your husband or wife, there needs to be purity in your marriage right now, and it needs to be maintained. I mean, when you come to bed at night as a married couple, are there things, divisive things between you and God or between you and your spouse? That's a huge deterrent for having great sex. The Bible teaches that we can sin against God, we can sin against our spouse, and transgression, sin, adversely affects the, the potential to have wonderful intimacy with your husband or wife. I mean, you can have sex if there is sin in your life, but it's not going to be great sex. It's just not. It'll be an act, but it won't be beautiful. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin brings destruction. It does damage to intimacy if there's harbored sin in our lives. You know, one wife said this, quote, never try to make love with me when you are harboring bad feelings toward me. Or you know things are not right. Let there be harmony between us so that sexual intercourse can indeed be an act of love. I mean, if there's sin, one or the other or both, Spouses in the act of sex will feel dirty. It'll feel not good at all. Um, and all the sin, the question is, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you dealing with sin in your life? Is there this lingering sin? And that will negatively affect your potential for great sex and marriage. Let me tell you, Christians by far have the greatest satisfaction of, of sex in marriage, by far, because we have a God who forgives us, and we confess our sins one to another, and that is absolutely the condition necessary in your spirit to have great sex. Wow. I mean, picture, picture your sex life in marriage 
like a fire in a fireplace. Just picture that. You got a fire in a fireplace? Picture that. That's like your sex in marriage. Unconfessed sin is like pouring water on that fire. Purity, however, before God and each other is like pouring gasoline on that fire. This is how important purity is in your relationship with God and each other if you want to have great sex. There's, I'm sorry, you're not going to have great sex if there is sin between you and God and your spouse. You're going to have the act, but it's not going to be great. It's going to be shallow, and it won't be enjoyable, really. Um, but here's the great news. God can make you pure, and purity before God and each other, that is the catalyst to great sex. Purity ignites sexual pleasure. It's a prerequisite for great sex. Purity before God and each other. And Solomon and the Shulamites, they were pure. They were right before God and each other. They, they, they chased away those little foxes that were trying to enter in and damage their relationship. Being right before God and each other, it's the ultimate condition to experience maximum sexual pleasure. And here's the greatest of news. Any spouse who is willing to confess their sin to God and, if necessary, to their spouse can experience purity. I mean, it is a prayer away. It's a confession away. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow. 1 Peter 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing is possible. Purity is possible. Great sex involves purity before God and each other. I mean, as Solomon and the Shulamite, they looked at each other, there was nothing between them and God and each other. And that's why it was beautiful. It was awesome. And you listen now from this context of purity. Listen to how Solomon describes his experience of having sexual intercourse with the Shulamite. I mean, everything prior to this point is leading up to them finally having intercourse. And just let your imagine run wild because it's meant to. This is poetry, and you can fill in the blanks, but this is Solomon describing this moment. He says in chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, he says, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. Your garden fountain, a well of flowering water streaming down from Lebanon. Wow. I mean, in verse 12, she was a locked up well. In verse 15, she is a well flowing with water. They experienced sexual intercourse, and it was pure, and it was delight, and it tasted good, and it felt good, and it was amazing. And this is what Solomon is saying. Great sex, this is a, the ultimate description of great sex. And if you trace back how they arrived at that, purity is in there, big time. Great sex is sensuous. Great sex is pure. Number eight, great sex includes responsiveness. Now, you recall, you remember in the book as we studied it, twice they stated, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Yes, Solomon, I understand. Do not awaken sex until it so desires. You remember the Shulamite wanted 
to have sex with Solomon, even before they were married. And Solomon said, no, you can't awaken this until our wedding. And finally, the Shulamite speaks up. And listen to the first word she says to her husband. This is what she says, chapter 4, verse 16. She says, awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Awake, she says. Awaken your love, Solomon. North wind, be strong. South wind, be gentle. Blow on my garden, she's saying. Blow on my body, so to speak. My body is yours. She's saying, come into me, Solomon. That's what she was saying. Commentators have called this verse the most erotic verse in all the Bible. Right here. This is a woman who has been cared for, she's been loved, she's been nurtured. Solomon has talked to her, he's adored her, he's complimented her naked body, he's kissed her, he's excited her, and now she invites him into her sexually. This woman gives herself to him in total abandon. She says, come into my garden, have at it, Solomon, you stag of a man, I am yours. Wow. Now make a note, ladies. I just want you to see something here. This woman is responsive. Wow. Now watch this. Great sex to a man is one word, responsiveness. Great sex to a woman is primarily one word, gentleness. It's romance. It's everything that leads up to this moment. But ladies, you need to understand something. For a guy, it's responsiveness. A guy will never admit this to you, but I'm giving you the greatest tip for amazing sex for a man. To a man, it's responsiveness. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, no man wants to be like a buzzing bee flying around a flower, trying to pollinate that flower, and that flower is absolutely unresponsive. A lot of guys would like to say this to their wives, but they don't know how to say it, and they're embarrassed to say it. They would love to say it, but they just have never had the guts to bring it to their wife. There is nothing as exciting to a man as a responsive woman. A responsive woman is the ultimate turn-on to a guy. It makes a man feel totally alive. It makes a man, watch this, feel like a man. If, if you're married to a woman and she's not responsive and you make love to her, you do not feel like a man if she just is unresponsive. Ephesians 5.33 says, the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, you show so much respect to your husband when you are responsive to him in sex. I mean, a responsive wife will make your man feel like King Kong. I mean, he's going to be, uh, you know, just like, uh, he'll love on that, he'll live on that for a month, you know. Okay, a week. Okay, maybe a day, Okay. But he's going to live on that, let me tell you. Now, ladies, let me give you four ways to excite a man, okay? A lot of this has been for the woman so far, because Solomon is showing romance to her. All the things that we've been leading up to has really been for guys to understand about how a woman is uh, created by God and how she can have great sex. But here's four ways to excite a man. Number one, what he hears excites him. No husband will ever say to his wife, 
shh, be quiet. Keep it down. The neighbors are going to hear. You're never going to hear that from a guy. You're just not. Two, what he sees excites him. Ladies, you get married, okay? Some of you are just about ready to get married. Go out and buy just a sexy negligee. No husband is going to deny that purchase. He's not going to get the visa bill and go, what was this? He's going to go, yeah. I mean, the greatest store to a guy at the mall, he'll never admit this, okay? He'll never go in there, Victoria's Secret. He'll never go in there. He walks by it and he goes, but he's praying his wife will go in there. He will never tell you this, but he is praying you will go in there. Because what you look like to him is a huge turn-on. What he sees excites him. Number three, what he smells or tastes excite him. No man, he is, no man is ever going to deny you taking a shower, brushing your teeth. He's never going to deny you brushing your teeth. He's never going to deny you putting on perfume. If you do that, actually, it's a huge turn-on for him. Huge. You may not think it is, but it is. Four, what a man feels excites him. Remember, your husband, remember, he's the stabilizing force in sex. He feels totally alive in sex, and he feels you. So feel him back. Love him back with your body. <laughs> wow, the sprinklers are going to turn on, I have a feeling, in this room. It's amazing how honest and incredible God's Word is. God's great sex is sensual. If it's not engaging all the senses, you need to look at it. Do you want to have this in marriage? Okay, it, it's also pure. If, if your sex life is not great, you've got to say, am I right with God? Am I right with my wife or husband? Because I may need to do some confession. If, if you don't deal with that sin, sorry. If you're, if you're hooked on pornography, guys, gone is the idea of having great sex with your wife. Sorry. Or if you ladies are hooked on sinful, watching whatever, reading novels that are taking you away, romance, I mean, just sinful scenes being poured into your mind, that is not going to do well for your marriage. You've got to deal with that sin. Or you can just have sex, but it won't be great. Great sex is responsive. I mean, it is responsive. It is responding out of love to your spouse, the way that turns them on. That, that's, it's biblical. All right, number nine, great sex is nourishing. Now, listen to Solomon here, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Now, notice, four times here, he says, I have, and that's in the past tense. So we know this statement is after he's made love. I mean, like Solomon's lying down on the bed. He's got like a cigarette, you know, going on. And, and he's just kind of, he's reflecting, okay? Solomon, watch this. He was very much so nourished by her and she by him. Now, married couples, it's so amazing to have someone you love, to have someone you care for, someone who loves you, and someone you can be one with. This is so beautiful. The highest, the most precious gift you can give your spouse is your body. And then after you just love one another, you're just in each other's presence, and you just say, wow, wasn't that great? 
And this is what Solomon is saying right here in the Scripture. Sex, you see, is so nourishing. It's good for the body, the soul, the spirit. I don't have time to totally elaborate. I wish I did, because I could do a whole sermon on how nourishing sex is to your body, soul, and spirit. I mean, scientifically it is, spiritually it is, physically it is, all of that. But let me just share with you some pearls of wisdom from Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman, in his book, Toward a Growing Marriage, has a a chapter entitled, All He Thinks About is Sex. And he writes this chapter to help women understand the uniqueness of the male sex drive, which is important to understand when this whole thing of nourishment comes into play. So I quote here. He says, an understanding of the physical difference between the sexes should be noted. For example, the male sex drive is more physical, based, physically based than it is for the female. That is, the male gonads are continually producing sperm cells. These cells, along with seminal fluid, are stored in the seminal vesicles. When the seminal vesicles are full, there is a physical demand for release. There is nothing comparable to this in the female. Ladies, you're never going to understand what this is like. For the female, the sexual need is more emotional. It's all this, I'm a crockpot, you know, the romance, the the connection, yes, the act is important, but you've got to have the emotional part to it for it to be meaningful. She says, for the female, the sexual need is more emotional. For the male, it is more physical. So why is it that all he thinks about is sex? The answer is, that's how God has made him. You've got to get that, ladies. That's how God's made him. And that's why 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, do not deprive each other. Wow. Chapman goes on to say, the norm for the human race, as expressed in Scripture, is that these needs, this physical need especially, would be met by sexual intercourse in the context of marriage. When we refuse each other this privilege, we frustrate the express pattern that God has revealed. If indeed husbands and wives would take this responsibility seriously, the rate of extramarital affairs would be drastically lowered. And as a pastor, I can say and agree with that big time. Now, he goes on to say this. An honest wife will say, but I don't feel like having intercourse as often as my husband desires. And then Chapman says, this is the point at which the wife has a chance to be a missionary to her husband. I think you understand what that means, ladies. And he says, openly and honestly express your feelings to your mate, but also let him know that you are ready to meet his needs. You need not go through all the foreplay and energy-consuming activity if you're fatigued. Simply let him know that you love him and you want to meet his needs, end quote. Wow, some wisdom there. That's a healthy marriage that recognizes that, is that. You see, great sex is nourishing. That's the principle. It's sensual, it's pure, it's responsive, it's nourishing. Tenth key to great sex. Great sex is commended by God. Now notice... In the whole book, there's only one time when God speaks up in the entire book. Only 10 words does God God speak in the entire book, and they're here in chapter 5, verse 1, where God says, eat, O friends, and drink, drink your fill, O lovers. You know what God is saying? He's saying, this, 
And he says this right after they make love. He says, this is my gift to you. I created sex for marriage. Go for it. Enjoy it. Eat, drink your fill, oh lovers. Sex to God and marriage, watch this, is not dirty. You think God looked down from heaven the first time Adam and Eve were, you know, making love? What's that? What are they doing? No, God's like, yes, this is what it's all about. It's beautiful. It's wondrous. Beautiful. Pleasure. God has created it. It's reserved for this most special of all relationships, a man or a woman that would come together in this holy bond of marriage. Drink to your heart's content. Enjoy is what God says. Wow. That's the one thing God says in this whole book. It's commended by God, sex is. So there we have it. We have 10 keys to great sex in marriage. I mean, I have to think you would agree with me. I read this, and I've just taught it, and last Sunday, you put all these 10 things together, you begin living this out, your sex life will improve so wonderfully if you begin following God's Word. So let let me remind you again on the one fact I gave you about keys You could have a key chain of 10 keys on this, but you can only use one key at a time. So don't get overwhelmed with all of this. But let me give you three points of application. First of all, there are no such thing, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage or a perfect sex in marriage. You need to just please understand that. Second, be thankful for the sex life that you currently have in your marriage. Be grateful for it. Third, the goal is not perfection. The goal is just progress. You're never going to have a perfect marriage or perfect sex life. But the goal is progress, to grow like in all areas. Here's a question. What key to great sex is God directing you to apply to improve the sex life in your marriage? I mean, which key is it that you should begin working on, so to speak, this week? In this session, we said great sex is sensual. So do you need to kind of work on that, on the sight, on the sound, on the feel, on the taste, all of that? Great sex is pure. Is there some sin to confess? Great sex is responsive. Is that an area to work on? Great sex is nourishing, realizing. We have different sex drives. This is so important, this whole area. And great sex is commended by God, that God actually commends this. Wow. Now, let me give you three points for later discussion. Your husband or wife, and here I'm quoting Gary Chapman, says this. Your husband or wife will never know what pleases you if you do not communicate. I have never heard of a couple who gain sexual oneness without open communication about sexual matters. It is such a healthy thing to talk as a married couple about this area in your life. And I want to encourage you, as your pastor who loves you, to do so. Some of you, maybe in your marriage, have never talked about this, or it's been years. And guess what? God hasn't given up on you. God has a great plan for you, but maybe you've given up on God. And the beauty of what God wants in your marriage. You've got to talk to your spouse about this. It begins by talking. You say, what do I talk about? Well, look at the next thing. Married couples, take some time to talk and answer some honest questions with one another. If you're married, I want to challenge you. Before you go to bed tonight, would you talk about these four questions? It just, you know, grab your outline, sit in your bed, 
and talk about this. What do we love about our sex life? Talk about that. How can I serve and love you better when it comes to intimacy? Is there anything I do that bothers you or you wish I would do differently? And lastly, what key to great sex would you like me to work on? Wow. Those are kind of some challenging questions, I'm sure. You're going to be very vulnerable. But you know what? Marriage is about being vulnerable. It's about just kind of being, that's love, is that you're willing to talk at this level. Now, if you're single here, uh, be committed to understanding the 10 keys to great sex and talking with your future spouse about your hopes, your passions, and your dreams as they relate to this most important, sacred, and enjoyable act. It'd be great for you to watch this. We're recording all this on video. If you're an engaged couple, man, watch this video. Talk about this. That'd be great. Now, please know that this was not meant to be an exhaustive study on how to have great sex in marriage. Because there are numerous issues that we did not even cover. And so I've I've got some recommended reading here for you. Most couples that I talk to that are Christian couples have never read one book on sex. And I'm like, wow, there are so many great books out there. So I've given you four. Intimacy Ignited. A Celebration of Sex, Is That All He Thinks About, and Intended for Pleasure. All four of those, or any one of those, would be great reading for you to consider. Before I pray, I want to share with you one story. Uh, I have a friend, and years ago, he was uh, candidating to become uh, a senior pastor, and that's what he sensed God was leading him into. And so, typically, when you're candidating, you will eventually preach in the church that is considering you to, for you to be their pastor. So, he, he has this sermon, and he's just, he's preaching away, and he has this conclusion all in his mind. And it was just like wrapping up this crescendo moment when, when, when he, was, he was, he meant to say in the pulpit at the very end, and I have an amazing plan for great success. And of course, he said at the very end, and I have an amazing plan for all of us for great sex. And I mean, the church heard it and he heard it and everyone started cracking up, kind of like you guys did. And they hired him. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that Lord, as maybe uncomfortable in moments that this has been, we haven't shied away from your word. We never do that at our church. We teach your word. And God, sometimes we in our hearts, we shy away. And God, sometimes we, we pay the price because we don't allow your word to be like a mirror shining in areas in our life that might be a little uncomfortable. Well, God, your plan for us is good. You're the one who created marriage. It's a beautiful relationship. And God, there is not one marriage here that's perfect, ours included. But Lord, it's beautiful that as we listen to your word and seek to follow your word, wow, do you ever lead us into life. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would use these principles, these ten principles that we've talked about, that you've given us in the example of Solomon and the Shulamite, 
Lord, that we would prayerfully look at our lives and, and really apply your word to us. And then that we would have conversations with our spouse about these areas. Lord, that you would grow us in this area that you've created us for in intimacy in our married lives. Lord, I pray for those that are watching this video that are engaged or soon to be engaged or maybe married for a second time coming up. You know the story, Lord. I just pray that this material as well could be great points of conversation to prepare for just this wonderful relationship that you have uh, called marriage. So, Lord, bless your word to our lives. And just thank you, God, that you hear our prayer. You know each life, you know each unique story, and you're able to take this and make it special in our lives as we move forward in your will. And I pray your will to be done in each of our lives and our marriages. In Christ's name, we all said, amen. amen.